Hey everyone, welcome to the Soul Edge Plus podcast. This week I am so excited about our special guest. Uh, this week, Kiri and I had the privilege of interviewing Stephen Backhouse, a great friend and an amazing theologian who has uh, devoted his life to uh, bringing theology into the local church. Uh, so we ask him questions about his journey into theology um, and some of the significant moments that have that impacted his life. Uh, it's a powerful story with uh, love, uh, all his thoughts and what he brings. Um, so sit back and get to know Stephen Backhouse. Uh, we have Stephen Backhouse with us today. It is an absolute privilege uh, to have him on the podcast. Uh, Stephen uh, is an amazing theologian who we really respect. Uh, we've got to sit under his teaching and just what a joy to know him personally. Uh, he's written books and has taught in uh, seminary and colleges and universities around the UK. And so, Stephen, why don't you just uh, tell our Solage alumni community a little bit about what you're doing now, and then we'll just kind of hit you with questions. <laughs> so... Okay, so uh, what I used to do uh, was I was an academic who worked for a number of training colleges or seminaries in the UK. So people who wanted to become pastors or vicars or priests, uh, usually in the Church of England, and I was I was in working for the colleges that taught them. But in the last three years or so, so I did that for about ten years. And for 10 years before that, I was a, I was working in universities as a graduate student and a doctor, doing doctorate work and that kind of stuff. So for 20 years, I was an academic theologian in one way or another. And then about three years ago, I quit that in order to take the show on the road because I got a little bit tired of just theology being just for um, uh, professional Christians, just for people who, are, who wanted some sort of Christian job at the end of it. So... That was most of my students were there because they, they wanted to get some sort of Christian job. And I thought I liked theology, but I was getting a bit tired of only uh, theology being just for people who thought they were called to church leadership, because I think it's actually for more people than that. So I quit my job and I, I started something called tent theology, which was this idea that you could travel around. A tent is easy to, to put up. It's easy to take down. It's easy to take anywhere. And the idea was that local churches or groups or networks could bring me in as like a, a kind of a resident theologian who would come and set up his tent for a while. And I might stay with it. I stayed with the church for like a week or 10 days or a weekend or something. And you get to know everybody and you open up spaces for theological reflection and engagement. And you can ask really tough questions and you can do high level Bible study, you kind of university level Bible study. Uh, but you do it in a local church with a worshiping community and you 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 make friends with everybody. And it's not just there's no degree. There's no essays. There's no job at the end of it. So that's that's awesome. mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. And I, I think it's really, you know, our passion as well to see the church come into health and strengthen this. And I think, you know, looking at the church, you know, broad strokes, there is kind of this anemic gospel. Um, mm. and I think Jesus really does want to see a recovery in his church. And so one of the things that like we really try to inspire you guys, our alumni, is to to be people and leaders who think deeply, who engage and wrestle and, and be leaders that sort of recover that in, in the churches and spaces that you lead. Maybe 
share a little bit of, of your journey into theology and, and sort of how how do we then bring theology into the lives that we live? Uh, I know obviously that that's a big journey, but where did that kind of start for you? Yeah, exactly. Like where where how did it get to the place where you're like, I want to study theology? Um, that's false. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So me wanting to study it is is different from me wanting to teach it. So me wanting to study it happened when I, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Alberta, but when I was 19, I moved to England just for an adventure. But when I was living in England, so I grew up in a real, I'm, I'm sure it's not hard to imagine a, a, a culture of very conservative evangelical Christians who very closely identify their Christianity with their politics, their conservative, patriotic kind of politics, right? So I grew up in a community of people in Alberta that wished they were Americans so they could vote Republican, for example. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, you know, not ironically, they, they, they used to say that, you know. And so, you know, you there's a few check. There's a few boxes that you're supposed to check if you're a Christian in that environment, right? You you do, you believe in six day creationism. You you definitely believe there's going to be a, a rapture. You you really care about um, guns. You really care about gay people getting married. You really care. You know, there's a whole list of things that you are supposed to care about and that you're not supposed to care about. You're not supposed to care about climate change. And you're not supposed to care. You know, right. so and it, it, you could go into my the sort of environments I grew up in. You could walk into any church in my culture and you'd be pretty sure how everybody was going to, what they were going to say about any one of those check boxes that I've just mentioned. Like the, it was a pretty uniform voice. So anyway, and then I moved to, now I knew that that wasn't totally Christianity. I did understand that, but I didn't really know what else there was. And then when I moved to England when I was 19, I just started going to a very quiet little Anglican church, which was just this little evangelical Anglican church. It was not a big celebrity church at all. It was nothing, you know, uh, it was special because they were lovely, but it wasn't like it wasn't a famous church. And I just found myself around people who they didn't all vote for the same party every four years. They didn't all agree about guns or gay people or even abortion. Um, some of them really cared about climate change and some of them didn't care. You know, And I was like, wow, and, and they didn't believe in the rapture and they didn't care that much about six day creationism and all these things that I was told you like absolutely have to care about. Here are a bunch of Jesus-loving Christians all in a room together. They didn't all agree about all those check boxes. And it just, you know, made me start to feel kind of unsettled in a positive way. I was like, wow, there's a whole bunch of people here that my Christianity that I grew up with is a lot, there's a lot more going on. It's, it's bigger and weirder than what I grew up with. And there's more, there's room for more voices. And, um, and also it started to, influence the way my my attitude towards christianity and, and my nationality because i was you know in a culture that very closely identified patriotism uh, uh, and you know the culture wars like you got to make canada christian again or make america great again or make britain you know it's like that idea that your my job as a christian was to win the culture war and now i was amongst christians in england who didn't believe that and yet they were still really lovely lively people and uh, that made me start to think a lot about my relationship to my nationality and my Christianity. So then I was working in a bookshop in England and I was using my employee discount <laughs> to, to work my way through the, the world's classics. I was educating myself, basically, a 19-year-old. And I discovered a, a Soren Kierkegaard, who's a mm. Danish philosopher. Well, that's where you discovered him. Yeah. 
so I discovered him and I read a, one of his books called Fear and Trembling. And it was like a, well, I've described it before. It was like vertigo. It was like the bottom of my world dropped out. I remember reading it, feeling a bit dizzy. It was brilliant because he's describing a culture that I recognized, even though he was writing in 1848 or whatever, Denmark, he was actually describing North American evangelicalism. And he was saying like, there's a difference between being a follower of Christ and just being a good citizen or being a, a good patriot. And he called that one Christendom. So Christendom is official cultural Christianity and Christianity is being a follower of Jesus. And he said, actually being a follower of Jesus almost certainly will make you a, a less good citizen, a less reliable patriot than a, than a better one because you'll be at odds with the things that your culture thinks are important. And it just was, it gave me a language to describe being a follower of Jesus without also having to like check all those boxes and fight all those fights. And I was like, oh yeah, actually some of that stuff, it's very anti-Christian actually. The idea that you would, you know, enthusiastically kill your enemies <laughs> in the name of your country. I mean, that's the exact opposite of anything Jesus said or did, right? So it helped me to sort of, not to let go of some things and then find some life. So I'm a, I'm a Christian because of Kierkegaard. So when I, went, when I, by that stage, I was probably 20, 21, and I decided I wanted to go to university. So in England, so I was, uh, I just thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to read more theology and philosophy unless somebody makes me. I knew that about myself by that stage. So I was like, I, I want to read more Kierkegaard. I'm going to go, I'm going to make it matter. So I studied theology and philosophy at university so that I could study more Kierkegaard. Mm. And that's what led me into that. And I did my master's in him, and then I did my doctorate. And I looked at Kierkegaard and nationalism. I, I looked at the way he was critical of Christian nationalism for very Christian reasons. And, uh, you know, I published some books on that. And that's that started my academic career. So that's where I'm into theology. Yeah, that, oh, I got I find it. it really fascinating that just like from the Kierkegaard kind of route, you're like taking that all the way through and you have like a wonderful book, um, which I've really enjoyed, by the way. And so, um, yeah, I find that really cool that God just kind of placed that as kind of the yeah. force. And so what would be like the next kind of like pulse um, kind of in your journey? Like I know it, um, more recently, like um, you and your wife, Claire, you went to Bethel. Like how did that all like fit in and what did Jesus do with that? Well, so that was an interesting experience because um, my wife, so my wife had followed me around the world for a lot of my stuff. So we went back to Canada for my master's and then we came back to England for my doctorate. And my wife is also an academic. She also has a doctorate in history of art, uh, but she you know, it finally got to the stage where a few, few years ago, she's like, you know, I really want to go and do this, this this ministry course at Bethel. And I thought, fair enough. She's traveled around the world for me. I'm going to do it for her. So I put my job on. This is where I was teaching at this Anglican college. And I put that job on hold. I took an unpaid leave. And, and I followed my wife to California for a year. And I just, I didn't go to Bethel or anything. I mean, I, I observed them from, you know, I was a friendly observer, but I didn't do their course or anything. And then my wife did that. But while I was there, that's when I had the idea for Tent Theology. So like taking a sabbatical and a break from my work made me know what it is I really wanted to do with my life. But I mean, the Bethel is, is interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, I'm, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not like a hater. I'm not happy with, I don't, I'm not actually happy with, with some of the things that are coming out of the Bethel environment. Um, 
I'm very pro charismatic and pro healing and prophecy, but I do, you know, a lot of what I saw at Bethel was something that made me want to be a theological educator even more, which was this is a group of people really loving Jesus are almost totally cut off from the bigger, wider conversation. They didn't have any real awareness of their history of where Christianity, where they fit in the Christian story. Very little like genuine engagement with the Bible. They read the Bible a lot, but genuine intellectual or, or intellectually serious engagement with the Bible. Uh, a pretty low um, uh, ability to think how their Christianity relates politically or socially. So I did. I, I actually found myself kind of in a way like glad that I was there, glad that I observed it, glad that I was became friends with people there and genuinely loved them, but also thought, yeah. There's, there needs to be more. We need to be able to put a lively sense of worship of Jesus together with the deeper, wider Christian thinking as well. And you should be able to have those two things together. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of it. I'm, you know, I'm, I hope you hear my heart here. I'm not trying to be very negative. <laughs> like we've had, you know, conversations with Nico is one of our mutual friends, that kind of thing. We've talked in the past, like, isn't it? incredible that looking at our like theological developments and all that kind of stuff god was so gracious to use us when we thought those things back there yeah right, right. and like he still kind of like used us like with things but like i know sometimes we look back and like how did like we've evolved hopefully in a good direction <laughs> like and and changed and transformed like in in our thoughts and yet god was so gracious to use us and um, I think that's what I'm kind of hearing on your heart there. Like, you know, God's moving and doing some stuff. But uh, at the same time, there is kind of, you know, a development and um, there's a real need, I think, just in the global church yeah. to, like, have those conversations um, and engage uh, theologically and well. Yeah. And I mean, I come from that charismatic background mm-hmm. where it's the, the emphasis is, like, move movement in the gifts of the spirit and then uh, you're either you know as i think you've said in the past you're either filled with the spirit moving the power of the spirit or theologian you can't be both and it's like, yeah can't we can't we be full of the spirit and also passionate about you know understanding and yeah. and get into the depths of mm-hmm. the gospel and how does this impact how we live as christians in the I world mean, i'm not even exaggerating i when, when I do tent theologies, I get words of knowledge for people all the time. And we have healings all the time. And we, we break out into spontaneous worship all the time. Like, these things can happen in one place. <laughs> I mean, that's what it should be like as well. You know, so, you know, it's, I don't feel like it was the death of anything. And, and also, I do, I do find that a lot of people who haven't been, I mean, okay, to be fair, theology has a bad reputation for a lot of Christians, and I think it's deserved, so I'm not going to defend it. I do think a lot of theology has been negative or bad, and it's largely because it's been divorced from the local church, right? Um, but likewise, the local church is often just shallow or ridiculous um, because it's been divorced from any serious engagement with the width, the width and the breadth of Christian thinking. So well, as much as we can try and put them together, it's only going to help both sides, right? And so when I'm in, in some of these environments, like a Bethel or whatever, I think a lot of people who aren't theologically educated think that I'm there judging them. They think that I'm crossing my arms and judging all the time because they have been judged by theologians. Right. But I wasn't. I really wasn't. I was I was so, like, absorbing lots of things. I was really um, observing it and engaging with it and doing it. 
and also so often I could see stuff and I could affirm it. Like, so these people would stand up and speak and they would say stuff that they had just occurred to them <laughs> or something. And they would use their own language for it. And I'd sit there going, yeah, Augustine said that, or yeah. wow, that's the original Greek in Philippians. You didn't even know it. It's like my theology, my education was actually affirming these people. Mm-hmm. They thought I was judging them, but actually I was just like, saying, yeah, you guys are speaking a, a language. You don't even know it. Wouldn't it be great if you knew that you were part of something that spans 2,000 years and you didn't just invent it yesterday? Exactly. Wouldn't that be nice if you knew that? You know? So theology doesn't have to be negative and it doesn't have to be critical. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more of just, uh, maybe this is too broad of a question, but the sort of divorce that you see of the church and theology and yeah. sort of hard to see the recovery you know what would you say are some of the major things that have fed into that divorce of theology in the local church well i think professionalization so i don't think now listen josh i'm i'm not judging you brother but i don't think it's good for anybody to be a professional christian (laughs) you know i anybody like i think professional christians it's not good for their christianity People in the in the pews and in the in the audience, it's not good for them. Like I feel like when we've got to this, we've inherited this Christian culture where we have like people who earn their living being Christians, and I think it's not good actually ultimately because what's happened is we professionalized it just like we professionalized being a plumber or being an IT consultant or being a teacher. Like we've said, oh, if you want to do this job, you have to go get this set of qualifications. And we've outsourced it. And we've done that with Christian discipleship and ministry. And I'd love to try and get back to the stage where where it's like Paul says, you know, everyone brings something. They all bring their gifts. Everybody brings something to the, to the worshiping community. And that doesn't mean throw your brain out the window, but it does mean is we need to find better ways to resource lots of people we also need to find better ways so that um, people who do undertake church ministry are still tent makers. They're like, they're like the apostle Paul, you know, they have other jobs. They're, they're not just living in the Christian bubble. They are part of the world. So part of it is this idea, this professionalization, I think has led to the idea that theology is the box you have to check to get the job. Much like if you want to be an accountant, you have to go and study accountancy. So we think, oh, you want to be a pastor, you have to go study theology. And the, theology isn't theory. It's not the theory which you then put into practice. Theology is a form of worship. It's a form of discipleship. You know, it's a form of humility and honor to your forefathers. Like it's, it's so many other things besides an academic subject. But we've, we've said it is an academic subject, and then we've treated it like one. So... Mm-hmm. I think it kind of come down to that, to that, what the church has done. Yeah. And then, and then, and then theologians started universities. So the university started because of theology. Right. But then the story of the university is that the university has got established and now they're embarrassed by theology. So now they're trying to get rid of it. And they're like, well, what point do you serve? What, what is the point of theology? You're not a proper academic subject. And I feel like saying, yeah, you're right. It's not a proper academic subject. That's on the point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not meant to be this objective science. It's meant to be an act of worship. Mm -hmm. So you're right. It doesn't fit in the university very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now poor old theologians like me who love Jesus and love to think about it 
and think about their Bible and their church history. Well, now we don't have anywhere to go because the local church doesn't think they need us either. <laughs> so we're trying to change the culture here with tent theology. Cool. I love so, it. Yeah. The, the recovery you see this, the, the recovery it has sort of let's bring theology back to the local church. Yeah. As you started to do that, um, yeah, maybe speak to how you see how you've seen that the local church embrace it, or the ways in which you see that recovery unfolding, um, and the beauty of that. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the phrase that comes to mind—it's a little, it's a little phrase that I sometimes use. I, I, I say it's fun to activate the educated, and to educate the activated. <laughs> so, what's really fun is when you find people who. They're like, oh, I've, yeah, I, I, I know about the love of God. I wrote an essay on that for my undergraduate degree. And I'm like, really? That's awesome. Why don't you come up and have a word of knowledge for somebody in the audience right now? You know, give them that, you know, or the other way around, you know, like I maybe gave that example of like somebody who some prophet who says, I got this word from God, you know, and they're activated. And then I go, wow, that's really awesome. Do, are you aware that that's like, what Augustine said, you know, for, you know, in the year 400, and, and that's the beginning of the Protestant, you know, idea of whatever, whatever. So you're educating people who are already activated, but sometimes what's really fun is the other way around, when you throw people in the deep end and you activate them. So it's like, all right, you could probably tell me, you, you educated theologian, you could probably tell me all the Greek words for healing uh, in the New Testament. Well, do you want to just come and do some? <laughs> Let's practice it. You know? And that's really fun when you get those two worlds uh, mixing. So uh, we try and do that with the tent theology. And what I, I keep saying the word we, cause I'm, I'm trying not, it's not really just me. So what I do is I often um, find people who are, because mo- nobody goes into theology for the money or the power. Okay. Everybody goes into theology basically because they think it's an important subject and they love it. And they usually love Jesus. They might not look like conservative evangelicals or charismatics, but I know them and I know that they actually, they're drawn to Jesus's goodness. They believe in the divinity of Christ. You know, they're Trinitarian. They might not check all the boxes that you might check in a conservative evangelical church, but they're there because they love Jesus. So what's really fun is to, to say to those people, if I was to put you in a room of 30 people um, and you had an hour to teach them something about your subject, what would you do? And you catch these academics, you, you, they get to teach out of fullness. It's like, you don't have to worry about footnotes. You don't have to worry about m- modules and syllabus. What would you teach 30 Christians if you had a, an hour and, you know, and you get them to, to teach out of what they're already full of and what they love. And that, and that's fun. You know, you get things in circulation. So you're activating the educated. But then what always happens is people in the room will come up to me. It's always happens. And they'll be like, I never thought theology would, I would like it. I never thought that this would be for me, you know, but now I can see that there's something here for me. And so then you're now, you know, educating the activated as well. So there you go. Yeah. So your theological journey then starts with like Kierkegaard and then we've talked, sorry, we jump way forward with the whole yeah. Bethlehem thing and then to what we're doing now. Are there any other really defining pulses in your theological development that you think were like really significant? Well, well, this is partly why I, I, I do enjoy teaching. One of the things that came to mind when you mentioned this was like, so I remember, like I said, I've been in academic theology for 20 years or so. So 
I've seen a lot of, I myself experienced what it was to studies like, I don't know, the Bible for the first time. So I'm a 21 year old grown up as a Christian going to university, taking a Bible course, first year undergraduate introduction to the New Testament or something. And, you know, the lecturer will say, well, of course, Matthew didn't write Matthew or something like that. And, and I would experience the shock of that. But then I would also see, as I stayed in the university system, I'd see other young people coming up through the ranks who were very similar to me. They they grew up Christian, grew up in church, excited by Jesus, want to study theology. And then they have a crisis of faith because they're told that Matthew didn't write Matthew. Well, guess what? Nowhere in the book of Matthew does it say, I, Matthew, wrote these words, right? Like, the 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 crisis of faith is caused by something that there's they, there's no reason to have a crisis of faith about that and the first time you're introduced to this idea that maybe matthew didn't write the book of matthew should not be when you're 21 years old at university if you're brought up in a church like the church it was christians we wrote the bible christians wrote the new testament we, it was, it's us it, it's our document we're allowed to talk about it we're allowed yeah teach it we're allowed to ask questions we're allowed to say hey you know what we've got four gospels only one of them uh claims to be an eyewitness luke doesn't he says i'm not an eyewitness i edited other people mark and matthew never once say who the author is these names have been assigned because you know for various good reasons but you know like we should be able to say that to people and you should be able to say, look, maybe Job wasn't a real person, but Jesus still rose from the dead. Or there's more than one way to read the, the two Genesis creation stories without your faith crumbling. And the, some of these questions are like our churches teach people as if there's only one way. And if you even remotely question it, then your whole faith will crumble. Well, guess what? It's true. You see their faith crumble all the time. And then those, Christ, those churches back home blame the liberal university for it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, it's not the liberal university that ruined their faith. It's the churches because right. the faith was so brittle that one undergraduate essay destroyed a whole edifice of faith, right? That yeah. is ridiculous. And yeah. so this is partly one of my big inspirations for just wanting to help churches open up these spaces within yeah. themselves, you know? That's so yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that is a very fair, like, critique of the church is like hey we have to like our young people have to be able to go to university and face hard questions and not have their faith crumble it's like, they need to be equipped absolutely yeah yeah and and told what's important and what's not and yeah. also just like hey guess what guys we don't know who wrote the book of matthew we have some good reasons for thinking it was matthew and there's some good reasons for thinking it wasn't we can live with it's still a brilliant like it's still scripture <laughs> like it's not yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? It's kind of like choose the hill you're going to die on, church. Like, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's, and again, like the more I've studied the Bible uh, as a theologian, the more I've, I've loved it even more. You know, I, I now teach almost exclusively from the Bible. So it's, it hasn't made me fall out of love with the Bible or anything, you know. <laughs> so I'd like to try and share that with other people because I experienced it myself. So. Amazing. Amazing. Oh man, there's so many questions, but I love you recently released a study on the, the book of Mark. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. On my community, you can grab that. We'll post a link, but maybe tell us acts as well. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to create that study uh, on, on the book of Mark. Okay. So, um, so 
what it was, was I said I studied Kierkegaard and I did my doctorate on nationalism. And then, so I became an academic who was a political theologian. So I was looking at basically the way that Christians relate to states and nations and government and politics, right? But then as you're doing that work, you have to be, you also have to be a bit of a historian because you're like, well, how did previous generations relate to their states and nations? So you're going back and back. And I actually wrote a couple of history books and stuff. And so I was a sort of a church historian, political theologian. But as you go back in history, of course, eventually you end up at the New Testament. Because the New Testament is the documents of the first generation of Christians. And, and then you, you look at the New Testament. And, well, what do they think about states and nations and government and power? So I kind of backed into the New Testament studies as a political theologian doing historical research, right? And reading the new the Gospels especially, like well, the whole New Testament, but reading the Gospels as a political theologian, it's just, there's so much there which my Christian culture did not notice. And, um, and the, these Gospels are overtly political texts. They are describing a form of Jesus's relationship to power and empire and nations and states and tribal relationships and families and economics and war and like the gospels are i mean even the word gospel itself is the is the good news of a rightful king that's what gospel means which is a political term the romans used it as a political term so uh so i started doing the 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 gospel of mark yeah i started teaching from it as a political theologian and i love teaching on it and i would take this around i would do like take churches through the gospel of mark in a weekend just chapter by chapter. And I would do this thing where I was like, um, ask your toughest question. I would read the gospels, but I would specifically just look for the hardest questions. Like all the passages that you would be least confident leading a Bible study on. And so I would ask the people in my churches, whatever, I'd be like, so what, what in Mark three or what in Mark 12, would you feel least confident leading a Bible study on? And they would shout them out and I'd put it up on a whiteboard and I'd teach those passages. So we, we went through the entire Gospel of Mark only looking at the toughest passages, which was really fun because yeah. that's, those, those are the only passages anybody wants to know about anyway, so might as well focus on them. Yeah. By doing that, I basically ended up getting a pretty good knowledge of the entire Gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been teaching it for you know quite a few years now. So now, thanks to lockdown, I and all my uh, teaching gigs dried up. I was like, well, I could just record and capture all this teaching material in a podcast form. So I, I, the Mark one, I started by just sitting down doing kind of half an hour. It's basically half an hour per chapter of Mark. Plus, and then listeners would send in their Q&A, their questions. So I'd have some, some episodes just for answering questions. And uh, that went really well, and it was good fun. And they're all free to download on my website. Um, and then that was fun to do. And I was using the money to, I was raising, I was asking people to pay what they could. And I was giving money to people whose livelihoods was affected by coronavirus. Mm. Pretty fun. And so then that finished and we decided to go with Acts. So now I'm halfway through the book of Acts and I'm recording an episode a day and just bringing political theology into the biblical text and just opening it up in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is phenomenal, like, listening to it. I'm just like, oh, I love it. The way that you teach, it, it really brings the scripture alive. And, and so, so much depth. So the revelation, depth. that's really helpful. So we're going to post that uh, for you guys. Um, 
amazing. So check it out if you have time. Such great resources. Um, Stephen, what would you say to, you know, a lot of our students are kind of at university uh, and kind of plugged into a local church for mm. Um, and we always say, you know, just go there, serve, be the change that you want to, yeah. you want to see, um, you know, as they're kind of maybe seeing like, oh, the, the local church needs greater depth in theology. Um, and there's, there's questions rising up and then they probably want to yeah see that gap bridge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What would be some encouragements that you would, you would give to them? Um, well, Everyone has something to give. Like, I, my experience of living in university towns, of which I have lived in quite a number of them, and I've been a, I've been on both sides. I've been a local in the church, and I've been a student in the church. And, and I, I have noticed that a lot of students sometimes have a bit of a sponge mentality that, like, they're just there to be poured into all the time. And it can be kind of exhausting for the locals sometimes in the church because – they pour everything into the student and then three years, every three years they have to start again. And I, and I do wonder whether like, you know what, everyone has something to give. Like I know students are there, they're focused on themselves and on their lives and their degree, but they probably got some good resources they could get into circulation. I bet you, you know, offer, offer us a, a study group or offer, do some work. If you're a geography student and figure out the theology of geography and offer a one night teaching, you know, offer, you know, uh, sort of put on your own Bible studies. If you're a theologian, start to share what you're, what you're learning, um, get it into circulation, like start to give, like even now, you know, cause I think everybody has something to give. And I, I always like it when people get to, to, um, to offer what they've got. Um, and also, by the way, you learn better by teaching anyway. That's the dirty little secret. You always learn more that you teach than if you just sat there and absorbed it yourself. So, you know, um, yeah, that, and you'll find some other network. I mean, get them in touch with people. If you're in the UK, get in touch with me. I'll get you in touch with the church that would love some resource, some people to, to teach them and to, to get stuff going in circulation. So. <laughs> Um, and if if uh you know as someone's listening to this they're like man i really would love to learn a little bit more and just start thinking a bit more about political theology and what would be some good books that you would recommend obviously but like some starting points or uh, i know we both share a, a love for brad jerzak and, and mm-hmm. brian zad but so yeah, yeah i mean jerzak has written a book called a more christ-like way which is very good um, there's a guy, uh, named William Kavanaugh, C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. He's an amazing guy, American Catholic theologian, who's, I think his book, uh, uh, the migration of the holy okay. or migrations of the holy. That's a really good, it's a little book with lots of little essays in it, but that describes political theology really well, I think. And I really like that. And then, um, the, the, the biblical commentary that absolutely changed my life, like no question, was uh, called Binding the Strong Man by Ched Myers. Ched, C-H-E-D, and then Myers, I think it's M-Y-E-R-S. But the book is called Binding the Strong Man, and it's a political theology commentary on the Gospel of Mark. And that's what got me into Mark. So I really recommend that. Um, yeah, those are, 
William Kavanaugh, Chad Myers, Brad Jerzak, yeah. Uh, Bob Ekblad. If you're interested in Bible, combining Bible and charismatic gifts and genuine, he's not a political moron. He's a really feisty campaigner guy. He's brilliant. He's totally switched on. Ekblad, E-K-B-L-A-D. And there's a there's a video out. There's somebody little did a documentary on him once. And he's he's a, a friend and also a really good guy. So Fab, I'll try to find that video and post it on Storage Plus as well. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Thank you so much, dude. Man, this is has been amazing just picking your brain, hearing a bit of your story. Really appreciate it. We may in the future try to get you back on the podcast with some specific questions and oh, then go a little more yeah. Yeah, just we wanted we to just enjoy we wanted to, you, to introduce so, yeah. Stephen <laughs> to you guys yeah. as an alumni community, and maybe fingers crossed in the future we can get them to one of the gatherings when we can have those again. Yeah, yeah, there was talk we were going to do it, and uh, <laughs> we'll do it again. Yeah, let's let's make that happen. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll put my because my those Bible studies are all free on my website, and on the same page there's a whole list of little podcasts and things I've been on, and there's some political theology discussions there too. So. Right. There's, yeah. there's resources. We'll, we'll share those too. Very cool. Very good. Thanks so much, Stephen. Wow. Bless you guys. Uh, and Soul Edge people do keep, but sometimes I give talks and Soul Edge people jump up and, and identify themselves. So you have permission to do that. Any any Soul Edge person who identifies himself in one of my talks will get a high five immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So yeah, make Very that good. happen, guys. Have a Very great. Good. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Okay.